When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Callaway's new Apex irons are the ultimate forge player's distance iron. Unmatched feel, distance, and control have been forged to perfection to deliver category-defining performance. Callaway's 360 face cups generate industry-leading distance and unmatched feel and will get every golfer's attention. Tungsten weighting in each iron fine-tunes the launch, trajectory, and delivery and gives you tremendous control. See perfection in every shot with the new Apex irons at your local golf retailer or visit CallawayGolf.com and see what makes Callaway the number one irons in golf. Welcome to the Off the Post Hockey Podcast, Post Media's Hockey uh Jewel, I will call it. And um, I'm Paul Chapman here with Mike Dracos. Mike, we haven't done one of these for a while. Um, welcome back. I think what we'll do is we'll start talking about the NHL draft because that just happened in the first period. Second period, we'll talk free agency. And then third period, we'll talk a whole bunch of other stuff that's going on, including, uh, I think, the Stanley Cup finals because with schedules between you and I, we didn't really touch base sort of once the finals started or finished. So I know you were there. Right. I know you've had a busy spring from the finals to the NHL awards and to the draft. You've been all over North America. Yeah. And I uh, was in your neck of the woods, which is great. Uh, yeah. Always lovely to go to Vancouver, especially when you guys hold off the rain for uh, a weekend <laughs> while I was there. So it was, it was actually really pleasant. Um, a heck of a draft. Um, no, no real surprises in terms of the draft order, um, at least for the top. I don't know I'd say three to five picks, but uh, some big trades, and I guess we'll we'll dive into that soon. Yeah, you know, and and as always, we we focus on the Canadian teams, and let's start with that, and let's obviously start with the Leafs. I think if you, I know they didn't have a first round pick, but um, you know there were rumors they were in on PK Subban. That didn't come about, but Subban did get moved to New Jersey, which I know there's cap issues. The Leafs did make a move for some cap relief. You know, how did people come out of that weekend thinking about the Leafs? You know, I, I would say worried. <laughs> and, and just because... <laughs> oh, come on, everyone's always uncer- worried about the Leafs. <laughs> well, well, there's a cloud of uncertainty around this organization right now where, where it pertains uh, Mitch Marner and whether he's going to get an offer sheet in the next day or two, or if the Leafs are going to be able to sign this guy and at what dollar value. So I, I think throughout the whole weekend, um, Marner was still at the forefront, even though the Leafs were picking uh, in the second round and that they were they had balls in the air in terms of trying to get P.K. Subban out of Nashville. Um, at the end of the day, um, it, it was all about Marner and he, even the trade that they made uh, this weekend um, in shipping basically a salary dump, uh, shipping Patrick Marlowe, out to uh, Carolina along with the first round pick either in next year's or the 2021 draft that saves them six and a quarter million. And you know, that money was going to some RFAs and ultimately the money is saved is going towards uh, making sure that they have enough cash flow to afford a guy like Mitch Marner. So 
it, it was kind of a weird weekend, and I think there's still uh, a level of concern uh, regarding this franchise when we're concerns are young players. Now, I guess for the Leafs, because they, they really are, their window is wide open now, and this is like they are all in on a championship, and they should be. Um, but I am a little curious that you give up a first-round draft pick in a salary dump. Now, there's lots of angst here in Vancouver because, of course, they made a trade as well for TJ Miller. Uh, and people here, I can I can honestly say sometimes social media is the worst gauge of really what the, the whole – the fan group is feeling, but there is tremendous anger at the Canucks for giving up a same thing, a conditional first that if it's a lottery pick next year, then the lightning get it the following year. But if they make the playoffs next year, the lightning get a first round pick and, you know, to get $6 million salary off your books for the Leafs is giving up a first round pick worth it. Like first round picks used to be treated like gold. And I've seen a lot of criticism of both the Canucks and the Leafs for giving them up. Yeah, it, it is strange, especially with the salary cap not going up high as uh, it has in previous years. Um, you figure those, you know, getting prospects, getting picks um, are going to be even more valuable because ultimately you're adding them to a roster uh, on an entry-level contract. And, you know, that's more valuable uh, in today's day and age than it is uh, maybe a guy like uh, TJ Miller. So um, it, it will be interesting uh, to see how, he acclimates himself uh, to the Canucks roster because, you know, in Tampa Bay, they're so loaded up front where Miller was playing on the fourth line at times this year and um, wasn't able to kind of flex his offensive muscles in terms of becoming that 25 to 30 goal scorer, which I believe uh, Vancouver is acquiring him to be. And if you put him on a line with Elias Patterson or um, even uh, a Bo Horvat, maybe he can kind of realize that potential, especially if he's getting significant power play time. But if he's not, then, you know, this is a kind of deal that Vancouver could be really regretting in a couple of years when, you know, Besser's making more money, Pedersen's making more money, uh, Quinn Hughes is off his entry-level deal. Things can change in a real hurry, and we know that just looking at Edmonton. We know that now looking at uh, Toronto where, you know, the window looks wide open today. Well, once those guys are off their ELCs, um, that window closes significantly, and if Miller's a guy that's only providing you 15 to 20 goals on a contract that looks worse today or looks worse tomorrow than it does today, and, and you don't have that first-round pick, well, yeah, yeah, Vancouver could be in a real soft spot, and a guy like Jim Benning uh, could be out of a job. So if we, you know, let's stick on Vancouver for a second. There's so much pre-draft speculation about, you know, who's going to go where, uh, the rankings of the different prospects. When the Canucks had the 10th pick and you saw that uh, Krebs, Caulfield, and um, Boldy were still available, there were three names that people, had, kind of, the fans, I think, had been, you know, hoping would fall to them. Um, then they picked this Russian kid, Pud Colson, and the reaction was a bit muted at first. However, I think now that people have seen him, Maybe people were discounting him because he has a pro contract in the KHL for two years. I don't think that should matter at, at 10 because I don't think you're expecting a player to come in for at least two years to help you if you're drafting in that spot. But as people have seen this pick and got to know a lot about this kid and the fact that he's physical, that he does play two ways, that he has offensive skill, I don't know. There's a lot of people in Vancouver pretty happy with that pick at least. Uh, your thoughts on on how that sort of the top 10, 15 worked out because the Oilers were in there. They took a Swedish defenseman in Broberg and Caulfield, who a lot of people, even though he's small, 
puts up a ton of points. He was still there for the Habs at 15. So I kind of think the teams, the Canadian teams that were picking the top end of the draft have to be happy at what they got. Yeah, it just seemed like everyone was working off their own list. Like, obviously, Hughes yeah. and Kako uh, were number one and number two on everyone's list. Uh, I don't think that was going to change, regardless of who was picking first or second. But after that, you know, really, um, there was so so much variety, and there's so many different players and so many different looking players who are, you know, whether it's wingers, centers, defensemen, and smaller size wingers, you know, like Russian wingers, um, guys who played more of a two-way game. I think it was all team preference. And you know what? I'll commend uh, Vancouver. And in talking to scouts, they're they're feeling the same way in the sense that at least they're swinging for the fences on this one. This is not a safe pick. And at the 10th spot, you can sometimes make a safe pick where you're saying, you know what? Worst case scenario, this guy is a third-line forward. He's going to play in the NHL. Well, he doesn't have the upside of a, a top-line guy. Uh, at least we know we're getting an NHLer. The Vancouver Canucks can't say that today. Uh, they don't know if Pod Colson's going to come to the NHL in a couple years or if he does come, what kind of player he's going to be. But if he does maximize his potential and, you know, if, if he's able to kind of put it all together and we've seen glimpses of a superstar, this could be the third best player taken in the draft. Uh, and I, I almost kind of compare it to William Nylander going to the Leafs, I think it was either the seventh or eighth spot a number of years ago where there was a lot of concern over um, off-ice things. Um, There was concern about how involved his dad was, the fact that he still had a contract in Sweden. Um, He rubbed some guys the wrong way internationally. But at the end of the day, scouts said, you know what? He might be the most talented player in the draft, and if he could figure it out, well, the Leafs are getting a gem. And you know, I love those home runs. I'd rather a team kind of do that than, like I said, choke up on the bat and try to just go for contact. And you know, it's a ballsy move by Jim Benning, and um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens in a couple of years. But you're right, Pod Colson wasn't going to play this year. He wasn't going to play next year probably uh, as a tenth overall pick. So. You know, let him, let him play in Russia, and maybe you got the next Evgeny Kuznetsov or Vladimir Tarasenko. Um, of course, you could have the next Grigor Mick. Uh, you could have the next kind of Russian bust or a guy that never comes over. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's the chance you take in the draft. Uh, yeah, there's no shortage of cliches to describe it. No guts, no glory. You know, fortune favors the bold. All those things, I agree with you. I think it's it's exciting to see someone take some chances there. Um, which brings me back to the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, concerns over Caulfield at 5'7", or his size, but there's a lot of people say he may be, you know, same thing. One of the top offensive players in the draft, certainly top five if you look at his his point totals. Um, think he's a good fit for the Canadians who may have some concerns about size already? Yeah, I was gonna say uh, it's not like this team is uh, <laughs> is pushing the envelope with six foot three players. I, I was joking that uh, their second biggest player or second person, biggest person on the roster might be their general manager. That's how <laughs> small size these guys are, and uh, you know today's NHL might not matter. Um, and the fact that Caulfield was still available at the fifteen spot, I don't think you're passing on him. Um, you look at the guys who were taken afterwards, and um, none of them have that sort of same upside from scouts uh, as Caulfield does. We're talking about a guy that shattered the goal-scoring record at the National Development Program, um, was, a, was a line mate of Jack Hughes. So as long as you find him a center that can get him the puck, this guy can finish in a hurry. Um, and you know what? Don't be surprised if we see this kid um, really make a push for the lineup 
uh, in Montreal this year. Uh, there's always one guy. Um, obviously, the one and two picks are going to get in the NHL next year, and there's always like one or two other guys who are little later picked and for whatever reason they just find a niche and uh, maybe it's through injuries or whatever they, they find a way to stick and Caulfield is a guy that I'm kind of banking on I think he's he's got a chance to do that and maybe just because Montreal doesn't have the same options up front um, but I have a sneaky suspicion that Caulfield's gonna worm, you know like worm his way onto that roster. That U.S. national development team program really is something else when you look at the guys taken in the first round from that program. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, obviously, um, Jack Hughes was there, Caulfield was there, but I think they had like seven players in the top 15. Um, it was a record. I'm, I'm just kind of going through it right now, and I think they almost had like 15 players in the entire draft come out of that program. So, you know, it's a relatively new program. I think we're, we're still talking about it being like something like 20 years old, um, but it's done a tremendous job of kind of um, identifying who the top players are in the country and bringing them together in one spot and um, developing them both on and off the ice for the pro level. And I wonder with, you know, this is the fourth year that Canada didn't have a number one overall pick or I think even a number, I think in the three of the last four years they didn't even have a number two pick. I wonder if Hockey Canada follows a similar model at one point where, you know, I know the Ontario Hockey League and the Western Hockey League and uh, Quebec League are doing a tremendous job of feeding players into the NHL. But um, I wonder for that top, 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 top end guy, if you're really looking at, you know what, uh, putting together just a specialized team that can not only get to you to the NHL, but also can compete on the national level where you're practicing and playing together every year, because we're seeing that gap, that gap sort of shrink between the U S and Canada, where, you know, Canada obviously had a letdown at a, yet another world juniors and, um, I wonder if part of that is, you know, you're putting a team together for basically two weeks and asking them to compete where this U.S. team had been together for two years. You know, I know that there's talks this summer. Uh, I've seen some some uh, suggestion that there's a push to retool and and really pump up the World Cup of Hockey. I'm not sure. I, I would much rather see them back in the Olympics. But you're right. I mean, international hockey, with the way the U.S. is charging, we've seen Finland makes great strides. Sweden's always there. We, you know you've got the Russians. I think international hockey is getting more and more intriguing. And, and, and I, I, as I said, I would prefer the Olympics. But just give me some sort of tournament that's pitting best on best at the right time. Uh, you know, maybe August isn't the right time for it. But uh, I look at the national team landscape, and I think it's fant- it's going to be fantastic in the next ten years. Oh yeah, like we, if we did get another Olympics, can you imagine how good that um, U.S. team would be, and how good that Canadian team yeah. would be, and how young both teams would be? It'd be both basically like the rosters from Team North America um, would be on Canada and U.S. Uh, for the respective countries. Like we're talking, you know, Connor McDavid, Mark Shifley, um, even Mitch Marner now, Braden Point. Um, for Canada, and then for the U.S., you'd have like Besser, Matthews, um, obviously Jack Eichel, and maybe even a Jack Hughes would be there. Uh, in yep. addition to Johnny Quinn Hughes. Boudreau, Quinn Hughes, like it, it's real. T- it would be really intriguing uh, to see that. All right, we'll take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll talk about some of the other Canadian teams, which will lead us into the free agency talk as well. How's it going? I'm Dave Breckenridge. I'm the host of Ten Three Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. In every episode, we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada, talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once Off the Post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world, be sure to subscribe. 
You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. That's 10.3 Canada's News Covered. Welcome back to the second period. This is Off the Post, uh, Post Media's hockey podcast. Mike, um, you know, obviously the intrigue with uh, an NHL draft really is in the players at the top end because they should be considered elite and, and guys who can come in and change things for you. When you look at teams like the Jets, um, we talked about the Leafs already, the Jets, the Flames, um, disappointing playoffs, pretty good regular seasons. Uh, I think that you kind of, the, the draft and free agency are really married because when you don't have that high-end pick, yeah, you've got to restock the cupboard in a way, but I think you're more open to moving picks. Uh, you're more open to making those trades and using free agency to get your team over the hump. What did you like out of both Calgary and Winnipeg this weekend? You know, they didn't push the panic button. Um, I think that's the the big thing. Um, they made their picks. They didn't try to, you know, really revamp their roster completely. Uh, I know there's going to be change in both markets just because, you know, you've got UFAs coming up and uh, Winnipeg had to lose a guy like Jacob Truba just to create some salary cap space uh, to re-sign Patrick Laine and Kyle Connor. And it also didn't look like Jacob Truba um, had an appetite for playing in Winnipeg for the foreseeable future. And same thing with Calgary. Um, you know, Mike Smith, it looks like he might be going to uh, July one and might end up somewhere else. But um, for the most part, the roster that you saw um, uh, finish first in the Western conference is probably the roster that you're going to see uh, start the season. And, you know, that's not a bad thing. Uh, I know it was disappointing in both markets to go out in the first round and it was much earlier than anyone really expected. I think we both had penciled, uh, Winnipeg penciled in to go at least to the conference final and uh, Calgary to at least advance to the second round, if not farther. But um, nothing's really changed. Um, I don't think neither team um, has gaping holes where you're saying that that's still not an achievable goal. Um, and similar to Washington over the years or San Jose over the years, um, sometimes it's just, you know, the balls aren't falling your way or the brakes aren't uh, falling your way. And uh, the following year that you could possibly uh, take this team all the way. So I was kind of happy that that neither uh, team really kind of pushed that panic button. What Now let's tee up free agency a little bit. What are you expecting out of free agency? We had talked all year about how this was a different year, how there were way bigger names and a lot more talent available, which you know typically should drive the market up. Now we know that there was Bobrovsky and, and Panarin are there. We know there's Duchesne. There's been a lot of talk about it. Some of the guys have been locked up that we thought might become available. Obviously, a guy like Carlson. Um, there's panic in Vancouver that the owner was seen in a restaurant with Tyler Myers, and so uh, there's this thought that you know he is at least the biggest name on defense, and that he might get uh, seven times seven contract, which when you look at P.K. Subban and what he was available for three years at nine versus seven at seven, those guys are about the same age. I think there's eight months difference. Uh, are you expecting a ton of movement? Which teams do you think are going to go after the big targets? And who do you think the big winners in free agency are going to be? Yeah, it's going to be a weird one, Paul, just because of that uh, salary cap. Uh, I talked to a number of GMs and agents at the draft and both said that the fact that the salary cap didn't go up significantly uh, as high as it has in the previous years, uh, there is a level of caution and concern uh, that you might not see uh, the same dollar figures being thrown around. Um, you can no longer say, well, uh, that $7 contract is going to look good in a couple years because the cap is just going to go up and 
7 million is really going to be the equivalent of a 5 million deal. We don't know yet. Um, it seems like with Seattle entering the league in a couple of years that the NHL is still going to be profitable and uh, what have you, but with an impending CBA um, and the fact that the players didn't take advantage of that escalator and the cap didn't go up, um, you know, really contracts have sort of uh, plateaued and the salary cap is plateaued. So right now I'm looking at teams with tons of cap space in terms of being uh, big movers and shakers in this summer. And, you know, Florida has already got, um, you know, they're already casting out lines for Sergei Bobrovsky and Artemi Panarin. Uh, it looks like both guys could end up in Florida. If that's the case, well, your two biggest fish are off the market. From there, it's Matt Duchesne. And I don't think it was a coincidence that Nashville uh, got rid of the Subban contract and it could now be a huge player in terms of getting Matt Duchesne. And if, they, if that's the case, then you're really left left with just kind of middle-rung players. I know Myers is probably the best defenseman along with Jake Gardner available. Uh, but after that, it's the kind of guys like um, you might see on your third and fourth lines. Um, Wayne Simmons, um, even a Joe Pavelski. Um, if he leaves San Jose, I don't see him making uh, the kind of money that he might have made five years ago just because of his age. But um, it would be interesting. I don't know if teams are going to go – as hard and as heavy, especially seeing what St. Louis was able to do where, you know, their big moves were grabbing guys like Tyler Bozak last year and Patrick Maroon and David Perron. Neither of those guys played on the top line. And uh, I know they made a trade for Ryan O'Reilly, but in terms of free agency, they were pretty quiet. Can you, do you think you can, I mean, obviously it depends what your base is and what you're working with, but do you think you can, there's guys there that you can turn you into a Stanley Cup contender? You know, Florida, obviously, if they bring in those guys, that will be an upgrade. But I don't think those are moves to put them over the top. Again, look at Vancouver with Louis Erickson. I look at Edmonton with Milan and Lucic. You go back a little ways. You look at, uh, you know, Toronto with David Clarkson. I think there's this – it's almost like the owners and or GMs can't help themselves from wanting to grab a name. But in free agency, it just seems like you – the term is the thing that kills you. You're just, it, you might get a year or two of usefulness out of it, and then you're just stuck with this dead contract. Yet they make the, the same mistake over and over again. And you're right. I, there's two guys on this market that you look at and go, oh, in the right situation, that might put you over the top. But beyond that, is this more a, a, a period for GMs to be cautious or a period to be ballsy? Yeah. You know, last year's John Tavares sweepstakes. Um, was really the only time where a big-name free agent not only, um, well, he signed, but he made good on his contract, at least in year one. And I would say that Tavares probably exceeded expectations. Uh, and there were sky-high expectations in terms of what he was able to do point-wise and how he was able to kind of fit into that Leafs roster. Typically, that doesn't happen. Uh, the Brad Richards of the world or the Daniel Breers or – Chris Jury's, uh, those kind of guys, yeah. yeah, they tend to blow up in your face and don't really kind of uh, give you the bang for the buck. But in terms of guys that could put you over the edge, uh, aside from those big names, the ones that I think everyone is sort of intrigued about, especially after watching what Tuka Rask was able to do with load management, I'm looking at the goaltenders. There's a ton of goaltenders on the market. And while neither of them, aside from Bobrovsky, might be true number one goalies who could log 60 to 70 games or starts in a season, you know, this might be the year of the backup. Uh, we saw Tuca go all the way to the final and just play better and better as the weeks went on, basically because he did the Kawhi Leonard uh, treatment of load management. And I wonder, 
um, looking ahead to seeing how many goalies are available, whether it's Robin Lehner, Varlamov, Mike Smith, Peter Morazic, Cam Talbot. I wonder if a lot of teams are looking at that sort of tandem um, formula where, you know, they might have a goalie that they have sort of trust in, but they have trust in them to play 40 to 50 games, not 60 to 70. And um, Calgary really went hard with that tandem last year, and they were able to kind of get uh, to first place in the Western Conference. St. Louis had Jake Allen for half the year, which was a disaster. In the second half, they had really rested and fresh uh, Jordan Bennington and take them all the way to the Stanley Cup final. And, you know, you look through the years, and the goalies that are playing the most minutes during the regular season aren't the ones having the most success in the playoffs. It's the guys who are, like I said, playing almost on a, a tandem basis. And uh, I wonder with all the goalies that are available and how many good ones there are, if we see those guys being really the cream of the crop. Great stuff, Mike. We're going to take another quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk about uh, the Stanley Cup final a little bit, looking ahead to next year and some uh, any, any, any other things you can think of that you want to throw out there about the NHL as we head into this free agency period. How's it going? I'm Dave Breckenridge. I'm the host of 10.3, Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. In every episode, we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada, talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once Off the Post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. That's 10.3, Canada's News Covered. Welcome back to the third period off the post, our post media hockey podcast. Um, Mike, we we haven't talked uh, on this pod, at least uh, did lots of talking at the draft. We haven't talked about the Stanley Cup finals, and you were just talking about the Blues, and in particular what Jordan Bennington meant to them, but also they brought in guys like Maroon, like Bozak, who did make a difference. Those complementary moves on top of the sort of high end talent that they drafted and developed. Um, however, it's just if there's anyone who even knows that they play hockey on ice who doesn't know that St. Louis was the worst team in the NHL on January 3rd. I don't know where they've been because that was literally drilled into everyone's head. I think they obviously were better than that record. It's not like you look at the Ottawa Senators and they go, well, we were better than on January 2nd. We were better than the Blues. There's hope for us. They had the pieces there. Um, When you look at the Blues, also the Bruins, the teams that did well in the playoffs. You had this crushing disappointment from Tampa Bay. How does next year shape up for you? Are you, you know, we you talked about teams like Calgary, Toronto, Winnipeg that maybe didn't have the success they wanted in the playoffs, but aren't looking to make drastic moves. They're going to be patient and they're thinking, no, we still have enough talent to make a run at it. How is this shaping up for next year? Is the race for the Stanley Cup wide open or is it the same teams that did well this year that will be back in it next year? Well, I think if you didn't believe in parity before, you certainly are now. Uh, Two years ago, an expansion team goes all the way to the Stanley Cup final. One year later, like you mentioned, the worst team as of January 2nd, wins the Stanley Cup, that's not lost on anyone. And it's not lost on anyone that Columbus, who was the eighth-seeded team, uh, was able to sweep the best team, one of the historically best teams in the NHL, in four straight games. So, you know, that's a lesson I think every GM has taken into this summer, that, you know, the difference between the Tampa Bays of the world and the Columbuses of the world and the St. Louis's of the world and the Carolinas of the world is very, very slim, and it's about getting hot at the right time. It's about having a balanced lineup. It's about you know having uh, no one injured and 
making sure that your lineup is cooking uh, when the playoffs start. Um, and you don't necessarily have to win the regular season to win the playoffs. And, you know, if, if there was a distinction between the first 82 games and really the, the six weeks that followed, this was the year that really showed it. Because what worked in the regular season, which was skill, speed, uh, teams that played um, with a really fast back-and-forth style, whether it was Tampa, Toronto, um, even like Nashville, um, those are the teams that didn't necessarily have success in the playoffs. And it was the big, heavy, old-school teams like the Bruins, um, the Blues, um, the Blue Jackets. Those are the teams that sort of went further um, than anyone really kind of envisioned them going uh, once the playoffs started. So I don't know how you approach um, the off season or the upcoming season if you're a general manager. Do, do you care more about the regular season or do you load up with big heavy guys thinking that you're going to have to bruise your way to the final or is it really kind of a, a mash of the two and um we know the nhl is a copycat league and i don't think what the blues did and the fact that they met another big heavy team in the bruins was lost on anyone if you look at the canadians i asked you this last october i'll ask you again in the coming october but i'm going to ask you now which canadian team do you think if you were to go down to vegas and which you were just there, uh, and put down some money on the uh, Canadian team to win the Stanley Cup. Who, 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 where would you put your money? Well, right now, um, I think I'd put it on Toronto. And I, yeah. I say that as a guy who lives in Toronto, but also just, you know what, they came so close to beating the Boston Bruins. And had they beaten the Boston Bruins, you know, you see how far Boston was able to go this year. I wonder if if that could have been Toronto that was in the final. I wonder if they could have beaten Columbus and then Carolina and then what they would have looked like against the Blues. But, you know, I know their defense is going to be banged up, but whenever you got Frederick Anderson playing as well as he has right now and you've still got a forward group that includes, well, it should include Marner, Matthews, Tavares, and a Nylander that you're going to get for the whole entire season, uh, I'll take my chances with that versus – I'm not entirely sure that Calgary can replicate what they did uh, again this year, especially if they're going to have a different look on goaltending. And with Winnipeg, you know, they're probably right there with Toronto in terms of being a cup contender. Um, but right now I'm just giving it to Toronto because I think they're going to be hungrier, especially with Mike Babcock really kind of coaching for his life this year. I think what you say makes sense, but I, I, I also think that there, there's a sense. I mean, Calgary and Winnipeg still have enough talent to certainly be in the mix at the top end of the of the Western Conference. When you look at the other teams, though, and I know we're still waiting for the free agency f- foot to drop, and there's more more than likely going to be some significant trades. Um, which other, which of those Canadian teams that didn't make the playoffs from you know Ottawa, Vancouver, Edmonton, Montreal, which one do you think has the best chance to make a leap to the next level? Oh, if I'm picking a dark horse today, it's going to be the Montreal Canadiens. I, I think not only are they going to be a playoff team this year, but I think they can make some noise in the playoffs, especially if Carey Price is uh, as good as he was this year. Um, they, they came so close to being a playoff team. And, you know, as we just mentioned, make the playoffs. Literally anything can happen. It's a cliche, but it's so true, especially in this sport. And, you know, if Cole Konami can... Uh, make a jump um, from what he was as a rookie to what he could be as a sophomore. If um, if they do get a Caulfield in the lineup, if they do get some of their younger guys kind of you know evolving and taking that next step, 
Um, this Montreal team could, you know, they could, I'm not going to say they're going to challenge for the divisional lead, but they could be more than just a wildcard team. Um, and, you know, don't be surprised if they're a team that we're talking about um, next spring. It's kind of funny that, you know, um, when Subban was traded for Weber, a lot of people were like, oh my God, why did the Canadians do that? You know, the Predators got the younger player. Uh, they got a better value. Why are the Canadians tra- trading for this, you know, guy who's kind of been through the ringer physically a bit, yet here Weber is still there and producing for the Canadians. I mean, he had injury issues last year, but he looks to be a staple of any sort of improvement they're going to make, and, and Zuban's left the Predators. So the Canadians really are, I mean, they surprised me last year. I didn't think they'd be anywhere near the playoffs. I thought they were ready to implode. They'd have a new GM. Um, but you're right, a lot of good news stories there. They, You know, a young kid comes in, makes a difference right out of the draft, Domi turned out to be a great trade, you know, revitalized his career. Uh, But this is one of those swing years. Like, you wonder if they regress, if that is it for Bergevin. Or as you said, this is a team that's ready to take the next step and make some some noise in the playoffs. Yeah, like, when I look at Weber, obviously his skills, or maybe his skills, but his foot speed is diminishing. But I I look at him as more like a Zidane Chara, where as he's getting older, he's aware of his uh, limitations. And, you know, they pair him with Victor Mete, who... Uh, I don't know if he's quite at the same level as Charlie McAvoy in Boston, but Mete is the one who goes back, gets all the pucks. He's the one that Weber can always dish the puck to, and he's got this young guy that could skate it out of their zone. And I I think it's a perfect compliment. And as long as the referees allow Weber to use his stick, kind of like a lacrosse stick, um, they're going to be in fine shape because (laughs) positionally, Shea's always in the right spot. Um, You put him on the power play, you can crank out 10 to 20 goals just with that slap shot. And like I said, um, as he's gotten older, um, some skills are diminishing. But, you know, there's a guy like Pronger, like Chara, who's just getting smarter and realizes, okay, I just need to be here, here, and here, and the other kids can do all the rest. And that's a pretty good formula. And, you know, any defenseman's going to look good when you got Carey Price, obviously, um, recording a a 9.15 save percentage or somewhere in that number. So, yeah, I think the team's always going to live and die with how well Carey Price does. But offensively, they don't seem to have any holes or as many holes as they did in the past. And, you know, defensively, it's looking pretty good as well. Got to ask you specifically, which team or which set of fans should have more hope, Oilers or Senators? Oh, that is the question, isn't it? <laughs> it's kind I of a cruel I, question, but... I, I like Edmonton's chances this year. <laughs> Something about, you know... Getting Ken Hall in there, getting Dave Tippett there, I know it's the same old roster, and there's probably not going to be a whole lot of change, um, either on the back end or up front, and they still got concerns in net, but you're starting with the best player in the world, Paul. <laughs> and then after that, you've got yeah, a guy well, who was top three or top four in scoring in Dreisaitl, so you've already got a couple of guys that can really make a difference for you, and it's just, can you find structure in their game? Can you make it simple? And can you make sure that your head's just above water? Well, I mean, that that's one of the things that's such a dilemma for me when you look at these teams. I mean, Ottawa burned it to the ground and already, I mean, and unfortunately they didn't have the pick in the year that they were the worst team in the NHL pretty much. Um, but they seem to have accepted the fact that they are starting from scratch. With Edmonton, you'd always give them the benefit of the doubt because they have McDavid. But then you say you've had McDavid for all this time and you can't seem to make any progress. In fact, you always seem to go backwards. So, you know, it's always a new regime in Edmonton. So I'm really not sure which which team there is going to get is is closer to 
not just making the playoffs, but becoming a contender. You'd, Edmonton certainly has more talent, but it's like if you're not making progress with that group, then it almost seems like something's fundamentally wrong with them. So I, I agree with you. I'm not sure really if there's much hope in any of those situations. All I know is if it doesn't start to happen in Edmonton this year, then you really do have to wonder what Connor McDavid's future is there. Um, just sort of wanted to wrap up, Mike. Any other storylines, themes for you for this offseason now? We'll probably do another pod in, in a couple of weeks after free agency, but I know that hockey, sort of once you get that frenzy out of the way, everyone goes into gone fishing mode. So is there anything else you're expecting in the next few months that, that hockey fans should be aware of? I'm just kind of curious. There's a lot of older guys on the market uh, this year, whether it's Corey Perry, uh, Jason Spezza, um, uh, even Thornton and Marlowe are going to be available. I I wonder how long those guys have to wait to get jobs and where they might fit. Um, I think we've talked about this in the past, about Corey Perry potentially being a good fit, whether it's in Vancouver or um, Edmonton or Montreal. Um, I I wonder if the old guys still have value in today's NHL. And that's the one thing I'm kind of really kind of curious to see because obviously neither of those guys can skate well anymore. And you'd say like they might hurt you more than they help you in terms of dressing room presence. But, you know, I've seen too many, maybe it's a cliche that being good in the room kind of helps and that leadership helps. But uh, we'll see if the new school analytics can uh, find a spot for these guys. You know, we'll let, we'll wrap it up there. I am still fascinated by, you know, the the theory that if the Leafs had been able to beat Boston in Game Seven, that they might have got to the final, and who knows how they would have done it against the Blues. Could you imagine the Raptors and the Leafs winning championships a couple of days apart? Uh, it would have been uh, nuts. <laughs> I, I don't know what would happen to the city of Toronto, but it would have been something to behold. Yeah, and you know what keep saying this every year but it's gonna happen whether it's this year or next year or the year after a Canadian team is gonna win like we're finally at that point where there's too many of the best teams in the NHL are playing north of the border and with Vancouver coming up now and you know they're gonna be motivated um, with Montreal coming up and then now with the changes in Edmonton I think we're in for sort of that golden age where I, I think you can almost pencil in five or six of the Canadian teams into the playoffs and of those, three actually have a legitimate chance of actually winning the Cup. So could be in for an exciting time in the NHL. Well, it has been an exciting year, Mike. I want to thank you for your contributions through the year. I know you've had a very heavy workload of late all over the place. Uh, free agency still a few days away. Uh, July 1st, we will be back, as I said, in a week or two to sift over that, and then we'll probably shut it down for the summer. So thank you for listening, everyone. You can subscribe to us through Apple iTunes. Please give us a rating if you like what you have, and uh, we will talk to you next time.